Just one day after finishing her first 50-miler, the campfire began its path of destruction in Northern California, ultimately claiming 153,000 acres, 85 human, and an untold number of animal lives, a horror that Ashley Winchester came face-to-face -face with as a veterinary nurse in the area. Wave after wave of life and death emergencies flooded the clinic where she worked, and when it was all over, the toll on her own soul proved to be a heavy catalyst behind her full-time journey into FKTs, freelance writing, and podcasting as the host of Women of the Wild, a community of adventure women who support and help each other grow. A quick look at today's guest's athlete profile on fastestknowntime.com shows Ashley as the current queen of FKTs as she lays claim to 39 of the fastest known time efforts in the world. Coincidentally, this queen shares her realm with her boyfriend, the current king of FKT, episode 28's very own Jason Hardrath. Stick around after the closing credits for a bonus conversation about how Ashley sees the two measuring up on different courses, and what, if anything, it would take for her to overtake Jason on an FKT course in the wild. So if you're ready for the show, crank it up and let's go. Welcome to the Athlinks Podcast. I am your host, Troy Busso, coming to you from the foggy hills of Broomfield, Colorado. It is February 8th, and this is episode 30. How's it going, Ashley? Doing great. How about yourself? Doing wonderfully. Thank you for coming on the podcast today. I got to talk about your name because it's like such a, it's such a great like outdoor, uh, it's like Annie Oakley, like Ashley Winchester. It sounds like it's made up. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a pseudonym. It's not. Yeah. <laughs> um, funny thing about that is Ashley is actually my middle name. Oh, okay. That's yeah. funny. Troy is my middle name. Oh, funny. Yeah, you don't meet too many people who are who go by their middle names. And when people find out after they've known you for a while, they find out that you go by your middle name. They're like yeah. taken aback. Like, who are you? Yeah. I don't know who you are now. Yeah, it's so strange. My brother is the same way. It drives me and my brother nuts because. It wasn't like we just liked our middle names better, and so we decided to go by it. Our parents named us this way. And so, I mean, school and documents and everything else has always been a pain in the butt, and I don't know how you, how you feel about it, but I would, I would prefer to have yeah. just gone by my middle name or first name. But I like my middle name better, so I like Troy better than Matthew. So what are you going to do? Yeah, I'm, I'm the same. My, my parents decided <laughs> to call me Ashley, and my first name is Julianne. And... Um, oh. I actually used to argue with them when I was a kid that no, my, my first name is Ashley um, because that's oh. what everybody called me by even in school. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it definitely makes documents kind of weird and, and going yeah. into college too was, was really strange because you know, the professor says Julianne and I'm like, who? <laughs> <Who's this person? laughs> yeah. yeah, indeed. Well, on the podcast today, as you as we just mentioned, we have Ashley Winchester. You are, um, I guess you can't, you can't, crown yourself um but i so i will say you are the queen of fkts but jason hardrath who was on two episodes ago who turns out is uh whatever you want to call him your uh significant other or your uh person you love fkting with the most uh whatever <laughs> uh, but he said hey you <laughs> there you go yeah you got to have ashley on so she is the queen of fkt so his words not mine or yours so if anybody has a Not problem mine. with it, you know, you know, whatever. So, uh, yeah. So he's like, you know, that's, that's part of, and part of your duty today will be to nominate the next guest at the end of this. So he nominated okay. you, uh, and somebody else. So yeah, it'll, it's all good. So, um, 
our audience, I, you know, I don't know how familiar completely they are with FKTs. Again, Jason was on two episodes ago, so I don't want to go too crazy down the FKT routes having just had Jason on, but let's talk about um, kind of giving your definition of FKTs. You did a great write-up on, I think it was the Hoka blog, if I'm not mistaken, describing the three yeah. different types of yeah. FKTs and stuff. So give that a go. Yeah, so... Um so FKTs, as you probably went through with Jason's episode, are basically a, a speed record on a known route. Um, and these routes vary from, you know, like off-trail mountain traverses to, you know, shorter um, on-trail routes through national parks or state parks or, or something like that. There's even routes that kind of like circumnavigate cities or um, cross cities, it, it, that kind of a thing. Um, there are three main types of styles of FKT. So there's the supported, which is pretty much like it sounds like it's like, you know, when you're doing a race and you have a crew and you have checkpoints or you have aid stations, um, you have people helping you. And then there's self-supported, which is you don't have any outside help, but you set up, you can set up an aid station for yourself or do a water drop or something like that. Um, and that's considered self-supported. Um, and that also includes like going into a store and buying food or drink or something, okay. um, you know, refilling your water in a you know, gas station or something like that. Um, And then there's the unsupported and unsupported is kind of where I found my love of FKTs. Um, And that's where you don't receive help from anybody else. And that includes like photos, somebody coming and checking on you. Um, Yeah. So it has to be solo then. It's completely solo and you're not allowed to like, do water drops or food stations or something ahead of time. So you can't like, you know, take before you start the FKT, you can't take like water or food and drop it off at a certain point for when you run by it. Um, So you have to start with everything on your back pretty much. Um, All food, if you have gear, something like that. Um, The only caveat to that is that you can get water from natural sources and fountains. So if you're like, running through a park and there's a fountain um you're allowed to refill your water from a fountain you can get water from streams um that kind of thing but you can't you say like, fountain, i assume water. you mean i assume you mean water fountain not like fountain you throw pennies into yeah <laughs> like a water fountain. okay all right just making sure like no you cannot drink from the water fountain it has to be the one with the statue in the middle of it <laughs> right <laughs> yeah got it okay good 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 so um so like if you're on an unsupported, um, I guess there's not much help. I'm thinking, you know, like in a race where you're, you know, about to cross the finish line, but your legs are giving out, you know, and you have to sort of like hold people off, like, no, no, no don't touch me. I have to make it across. So it, like, is that ever an issue where, I mean, I can't imagine like somebody, like, so, like they're not going to force feed you food or do something else, but like, is that, um, have you have ever gone into a situation where you were on an unsupported, but then finished it? because you had to take help, but you kept going. Does that make sense? Yeah, that just makes sense. Um, I've, I've never actually done that. I've done a route where I accidentally made it supported. Um, 
it was supposed to be unsupported and it was intended to be unsupported, but um, it was the, it, what it is, is the Mount Adams Summit and Circumnavigation is what I did. So Mount Adams up in Washington is volcano and um, you summit, come back down and then you go around the mountain okay. and it's like 44 miles ish, like 11,000 feet again, I think if I remember correctly. Well, so I did that on the same day that Jason was doing the infinity loop on it, which is okay. up the mountain, down the other side, around one side, back up the mountain, down the other side, and then around the other side. So it creates this kind of figure eight, like an infinity loop. Um, yeah. Well, we crossed paths at one point, which was totally unplanned. And it happened to be as I was going into kind of this like really techie off trail section. And, um, at that point, you know, I already had kind of a long day and I followed Jason through it because mm. we're going the same direction. He passed right. me and I ended up following him, um, oh. for a little ways. And I reached out to the, um, admins at fastest known time. And I said, Hey, look, this is what happened. Um, follow Jason for a while. We chatted, we talked about, you know, the, the route through the section. And, um, so I, you know, I think this is a supported record. I'd like it to be unsupported, but I think it's supported and they agreed. And so it got, it wow. got, yeah, submitted as a supported huh. record. Oh, interesting. So it's almost like a triathlon with like drafting. You have to maintain a certain amount of, so what, what part of that was supported? Was it the fact that you talked about it or that you ran together or both? Both. Yeah. Okay. It was, um, yeah. So we, we like accidentally met up. We talked about going through this section, which was okay. kind of techy and, and difficult and hard to navigate. Jason had actually gone through it once before um, because he had done the summit and circumnavigation of the mountain. Yeah. And so me following him through that because he was familiar with the route um, yeah. was definitely supported because I didn't you know, I didn't do it all completely by myself. I obviously, I had him to follow, um, which at the time it was like, oh, great. You know, <laughs> this is right. fantastic. And, you know, yeah. in the middle of nowhere, there's literally no trails. There's no roads. There's I'm miles and miles and miles away from anybody. And, um, you know, it just, it was like, well, this, he, he definitely made it a bit easier for me to, to navigate yeah. through that section. Um, so, so, so yeah. having done that again, had you one, not talked about it, but two said, Hey, let me lead through. So, you know, you're sort of, let's picture like single track or something where you don't have a choice without one of you stopping completely, but had you gone ahead of him and not taken his, like if he had been in your footsteps and then you don't talk about it, is it then unsupported? Do you think, is it, is that's it more really, of like an integrity really issue? Um, I think that if, if I had been ahead of him, um, I'm not sure that he would have submitted his as yeah. a supported record, but that's something like we, we discussed it pretty in depth, um, mm. because he, so he did his that day as a self-supported record, um, which when it's self-supported, you know, like he pretty much just chatted with me and then kept going. Um, I didn't help him in any way. I don't know if I had been ahead of him, if it would have been 
the reverse. Um, okay. I honestly don't, I like, I can't stay ahead of that guy anyway. Like he, if, <laughs> if I'm within sight, he'll pass me. <laughs> yeah. So that means I feel like that's kind of a non-issue because like there's, there's no point that I'm ever going to be yeah. faster than him. <laughs> yeah. But if you were to encounter, you know, like, a um, like a, just a stranger, let's say, right. I mean, I was reading your post on, um, it was the Grand Canyon Trail. It was a negative post, um, which I want to talk to you about in a second. But the um, the guy kind of blocking the path and stuff. Like, let's say that was a friendly situation. Um, hmm. Somebody who was about your speed that you couldn't pass. Like, it's, at, at some point, you have an obligation in the FKT world to either, like, you know, light a match and, you know, burn a couple matches passing this person and getting clear of them versus, you know, staying back. Like, you know what I mean? Like in triathlon, for instance, you either have to pass or you have to fall back. You cannot sit in somebody's, you know, draft zone. So like sure. what, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I, I think if it was like a complete stranger and yeah. I didn't, you know, I didn't take any help, I wasn't, um, then it probably would have been unsupported, but that's something that, you know, it's, it's a really good question. And it's one of those things in FKTs that, you know, there's, there's some records that might be contested because of, yeah. you know, is it supported? Is it unsupported? Is it self-supported? Um, and that's something, you know, like I, I discussed the, what happened during that FKT. I discussed it with Jason. I discussed it with the admins and we all kind of came to this conclusion yeah. together. Um, and I, I think that's, you know, that's would have to be in a case like that, we'd have to discuss it. Um, yeah. Cause it, it really depends. Like it, a record could go from unsupported to supported. If you're, if you're following somebody else's beta and, yeah. you know, moving through a technical section, even if you're following a, a, a stranger, um, yeah. you know, and you're using them as yeah. your guide pretty much, even if you don't know them yeah. to get you through a section, then yeah, I'd probably say that's supported. I mean, it seems so super subjective because it could be as simple as like, you know, you're 18 hours in, you're having a really hard time. You're turned inside out, you're tired, whatever. And just encountering somebody gives you that spark to go on, right? You, one could argue that is supported, you know, like just, just talking to somebody for a couple hundred yards on a trail, you know what I mean? Like gave you emotional, not physical, but emotional support to get you through. I don't know. So it, it just seems like so interestingly subjective and all that. Yeah, it, it definitely can be. And I, you know, like there have been plenty of times on FKTs where I'm doing something solo unsupported and I come across somebody and yeah, there's some chatting for a few minutes, but it's not yeah. like they're, they're not pacing you. They're not giving you right. food. They're not really giving you support and you can't really help those sorts of instances where you yeah. cross paths with somebody, um, okay. you know, complete strangers. And that, you know, that's, that's probably one of the most difficult things about FKTs and, and some FKTs could certainly be contested as far as like, you know, they've been su submitted as supported, but they're, or submitted as unsupported, but they're actually right. self-supported or something like that. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, with FKTs, especially with the pop, the popularity boom that happened in the last year, yeah. um, you know, the, the refining of the, the sort of rules, um, has, has started coming under the, the microscope and people are looking at it a little bit more closely. Um, yeah. so it's, it's definitely a, a little bit of a work in progress as far as that goes. 
Yeah, I mean, it feels like it's less subjective than I'm making it seem to be. So it seems like that you guys have the rules pretty well dialed in in terms of like, it's got to be a little bit more of a physical help than an emotional type of thing and and all that. It's interesting, like, go. I, I was reading some of your story about how you had, you know, gotten into ultras, but it was like, in a lot of ways, too, um, too structured, too maybe noisy or whatever, but the FKT offered you this outlet to not only explore physically, but it sounds like a lot of just mentally, structurally, it sounds like the project management side of it, all of it is really like fuel for you. Is that like, do you consider yourself like a, like a project centric person in that way? Yeah, I think so. I'm, I'm very much a planner and I do take a special kind of joy in planning out FKTs, especially when it comes to logistics with like water and food. And, um, you know, the, the longer adventures I, I really love, um, because of those logistics, you know, the shorter ones, it's, it's easy, you know, carry a couple of liters of water, some snacks are fine. Um, but when you're planning for, you know, a multi-day or something like that, or something that's going to take 24 hours, then that's that's where I find the real magic. Um, I just love the planning process. Wow. Yeah, I think I would be, <clears throat> you would find my dead body out after, <laughs> after about a 10-hour effort because I would invariably forget half of the things that I was supposed to bring. So I am, I am not a project-centric person. <laughs> that, that is definitely something I have always hired for is I just, that, that whole level. But it's, it's um, like, is it something, because I, I think a lot of people tend toward ultras and longer distance racing. And it's like a, and you and I talked about it a little in the pre-show of just like, it's such a, um, it's like almost like a sedative. Like it just kind of brings you down and calms your nerve. It brings you focus. Um, is it, is the, is the planning, is the planning just something you love or is it something in the actual adventure that is like without it, you feel like the whole thing is missing. So like, do you like the longer FKTs that require a certain amount of planning and, and all of that? Um, I mean, I, I like the longer FKTs for the planning because there's something about right. kind of creating this project and then seeing it through. Um, and, you know, when things go off really well and you're successful, um, that's a great feeling. Like you did all this yeah. planning, you know, you, you did well for your sponsors, you did well for yourself. It's, it's very satisfying. Um, but I think a, a big part of the longer FKTs for me is being solo in the wilderness, relying on myself, kind of and not having to worry about anything else except for what is going on right now and like what I have coming up next. And so there's this like real beauty to it where I don't have to think about anything else and I'm 100% reliant on myself. And that's kind of how you grew up, right? You grew up in Northern California out in the, out in the fields, eating the wild blackberries and things like that, right? I did. Yeah. Um, so I actually grew up in the small town on the Northern California coast called Boonville, California. Okay. And, um, we, my dad was a vineyard manager, so he grew grapes and for, for winemaking. And, um, we had 
about a thousand acres to run around on. Wow. I think the the vineyard itself was on, only on about a hundred acres, and so or maybe less than that. And so we we had about a thousand acres to run around on, and my mom would just kind of shoo us out the door and go go play, like go explore. And so most of the time, I was barefoot and just took off into the woods. Um, my brother and I would go and climb trees and climb rocks and, um, you know, just kind of explore. We'd, we'd find a creek and follow the creek as far up as we could go. We would go yeah. fishing. Um, but we were very much solo in the wilderness at a young age. That is um, awesome. And so, older, yeah. older or younger? <laughs> my brother's is older old? than me. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then I have a, I have a younger sister as well. Is she the same way? Is, like, are they both pretty still out pretty outdoorsy? Uh, yeah. So my sister's about seven years younger than me. So okay. she wasn't really along with us during that, like most formative time. She definitely, you know, like we're, we're all very outdoorsy. We, we all camp. We all, you know, I used to fish. I don't really fish anymore. Um, you know, we grew up hunting, we grew up fishing. Um, my sister is, is very much into fishing now. She and her boyfriend, um, and, uh, she actually has a, she, she has a, she gave me a nephew. So, <laughs> um, nice. you know, she's, she's got that, <laughs> yeah. um, that responsibility now. Um, and my brother, you know, he's, he's still very much, you know, hunter, fisherman, um, he really likes, he got into the four wheel off-roading trucks okay. type of a thing. He lives <clears throat> down it. in Arizona. Uh, oh, so nice. we all from. kind of like, oh yeah. <laughs> um, but we all kind of like found our separate niches in a way. And okay. I, I just tend to be a little bit more, uh, extreme, I think with yeah. mine. Was he, was, um, did he kind of push you athletically? Like, did you, did, were you competitive with him? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Very much so. Yeah. Um, okay. like over everything too. I was actually thinking about this the other day. We were competitive over food. Like, no, oh, he has more ice cream than me. That means I need more ice cream. <laughs> you know, like, that's, <laughs> um, so yeah, definitely. Like we, I would follow him around on our, uh, mountain bikes. Um, yeah. we had ATVs that we would drive around on. I was always chasing him. I was always, and it, I didn't really care how dirty or how scraped up or whatever. I, I didn't care. I just needed, like, I wanted to follow my brother and I was going to do what yeah. he was going to do no matter what. Yeah. When you like, were you, were you an athlete growing up? Did you play a lot of sports? I see you're, you've got um, your athletic brewing there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, so uh, growing up, I would say that my family was very much a baseball family. Um, okay. my dad required that I try out for the softball team in high school, um, which I, I really didn't want to do it because I, you know, I tried T-ball when I was a kid. I didn't like it. My brother had, mm. you know, he grew up playing baseball. He was an excellent pitcher. Um, but my dad was like, no, we're a baseball family. You have to at least try out for the softball team in high school. And okay. so I did. And I ended up loving it. I softball was my favorite thing for <clears throat> yeah, the, my, my high school years. Um, so I, I played softball. Yeah. Um, and, but I never really, I hated running. 
I, mm. I hated, you know, in PE when they made you run the mile. I, I really hated that. I, I never liked the, the sprinting. Running just never really was a thing for me, actually, until uh, long after high school. Um, but I mean, I would say, you know, we were athletic in the sense that we were very active. Um, okay. I mean, we were always hiking. We were always running around, you know, playing, um, climbing trees, that kind of a thing. But I, I wouldn't say that I was athletic in a sports sense. In a traditional sense, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> what, um, so th- I'm going to ask this question because I have a follow-up question that I want to get to, but the, on the FKT side of things. So if you, is it literally FKT? So when you own, how many FKTs do you own today? What are you up to? I have, well, I historically have had 39 FKTs and that, okay, that, that counts the FKTs even have been beaten by other people. By okay. Other that's, that's, I guess my question is, is okay. So you've had 39, you currently hold 36. Is that what you said? I don't actually I know lost. how many I currently okay. hold. I think it's <laughs> something like that. Yeah. Okay. So that, that is my question. So you have to at a, at a certain period of time, you have to be the fastest person within that category of supported, unsupported, et cetera. Um, and then that's how you earn the FKT. And then you are after that, a previous FKT or on that course. And obviously you can reclaim it if you want to, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And you can, okay. you can even go and beat your own FKT. Um, okay. There's plenty of people who have done that. I haven't done that yet. I don't think as far as I recall, um, I don't have two FKTs on the same route, but you can, okay. if you set an FKT and then come back a week later and beat it, you can resubmit another FKT and that counts as another okay. FKT. Um, but I've it never count as another, done myself. So you would go from 39 to 40 or would be, you just best, you just yeah. made your 39th better. No, it would actually be another one. It, it would go it would count as another one. So yeah, it would go to oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So the reason I asked that was, you know, going back to this sort of self-proclaimed non-athlete at the time, I mean, being the king or queen of anything is pretty freaking cool. Like if, if, if I had told you the high school or even the college version of yourself, like one day you're going to be the queen of this sort of ultra distance adventure, um, running hiking thing like would you have would you have believed it did you think that 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 was inside of you uh like like where are you at in this whole process mentally like are you kind of surprised in where you sit i am actually okay because (laughs) that if you had told me that even like a few years ago that's i I would have laughed at you um I never thought that I would actually have more FKTs historically than any other woman um, until I actually did it. I, because it's for me, having gotten into running a little later in life and not being a very fast person, Mm. (laughs) to be honest, like I'm not a fast runner. I can't do, I'm not competitive in shorter distances. Um, I, I just, it's, I want to say that it's not in me. It probably is. I just don't train that way and I never have. Sure. Um, yeah. So, I, you know, I being aware of FKTs for a long time and knowing about the FKTs on like the Appalachian Trail 
and you know the the rim to rim to rim of the Grand Canyon, the John Muir Trail, that kind of a thing. I, you know, I I, I always thought that FKTs were meant for elite athletes, not for me. <laughs> you know, yep. not for somebody who, um, you know, has taken on running as a as a hobby and as a way to like try and navigate life and you know anxiety and stuff like that um so i actually when i started doing the fkts it was jason who started doing them and he convinced me to try because i was like no fkts are for fast people that's not for me and he convinced me to try and i got my first fkt and i was like wow i can do this i can actually do this and um it was on a a, about a 50k distance route um and i actually beat the person who had the fkt already and i i was really proud of myself and i was like okay i actually really like this and i like it more than racing so Hmm. i started looking for more fkts and and what's really great about it well for one i have a partner who has the same hobby, you know, Yeah, we do the same thing. So we travel a lot together to go and chase down FKTs. And we do that like with a very specific purpose. You know, we find there've been times where we found an area like in Eastern Oregon, there's multiple FKTs and we would, we spent a three day weekend just chasing FKTs. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think he got three FKT or he got four FKTs that weekend. I got three. Um, oh. Okay. So it's like, you know, we we kind of plan our lives around it, but it's, it's this super adventurous, um, hobby that gets us out and exploring these really amazing, beautiful places that I might not have ever gone to if it hadn't been for that. Like I look at mountain biking versus cycling. It's so, they're so, they're almost like not even the same sport, not the same people typically. I mean, you know, there's some crossover obviously, but it's such a different strategy, everything else. And then you get into, you know, like FKTs versus ultras. Um, and like in, in ultra races, you know, there's a start and a finish and there's, you know, the gun goes off at a certain time and you're very beholden to the race rules and all of that stuff. And there's a structure. And as you said, in one of your posts, like you're sort of paying for this experience that the race director has put together and laid out all the logistics and all that kind of stuff. On the FKT side, obviously, that is all on your shoulders. And so while there is freedom and flexibility, there's also a ton of, um, I guess, responsibility on your on your shoulders. Like, have you, um, do you have any just absolute horror stories where you just screwed something up, didn't pack enough, not enough food, no, you know, whatever, sunscreen or, you know, I mean, whatever it is, <laughs> couldn't find potable water, you know, that you thought was going to be there, like a river was dried up or a stream was dried up? Um, I haven't had any major snafus like that. Um, I have definitely had experiences where, you know, I, there wasn't a lot of water on the route or there wasn't as much water as I was expecting. and um, have maybe had to drink some slightly questionable <laughs> water in order to get by. Um, okay. I did do an FKT actually down near San Francisco. I was, um, in the middle of a 10 day wilderness first responder course and I got one day off in the middle of that. And so I decided to go and run a 50 K route in okay. <laughs> called the Bolinas Ridge to bridge. 
and to like completely underestimated how hot it was actually going to be up on the ridge above the bay and um, didn't take enough water. And there was no water really along the route until I got to this. There was a, luckily I had, I didn't actually know it was there because I failed to do enough research ahead of time. Um, But there was a like small campground along the way. And so I crossed this road and ended up in this campground and was like, they have to have potable water here have to. (laughs) And so I was able to get water at that point, but I had already been out for, um, a couple, a while, a couple hours, maybe (laughs) and it it definitely (laughs) kind of ruined the effort on, on that. Mm. Yeah. I, I still, I finished it. Um, but there was a lot of really horrible miles in the middle where I was just melting and I had no water. Yeah. Um, But I mean, that's like part of the planning process is figuring out logistics like that. Um, I think one of the reasons I haven't really encountered those kinds of issues is because I do an insane amount of research before going into a lot of the FKTs. And that includes figuring out water. And I'll reach out to people who have recently done, you know, a part of the route or have been near it, you know, like how's the water? How's the, you know, how's the flow? Yeah. How's the stream go? You know, can I drink from the lake? That kind of a thing. Um, and I try and figure it out. I, I'm very much an overpacker and an over planner. And, um, so I always have extra layers. I always have extra food. Um, I usually try and take more water <laughs> than I need, which is like, it, you know, that's, that's helped me in the past. Um, I will say, so on, there's this route called the Death Valley Crossing, which I have tried twice and have failed on twice. Sounds lovely. <laughs> it, yeah, it's a it's a doozy. Um, it goes from the northernmost point of Death Valley to the southernmost point of Death okay. Valley, and it's completely one hundred percent off trail and it's one hundred percent unsupported. So in Death mm-hmm. Valley, there's no potable water along the route, and right. that means that you have to carry all of your water that you need for 165 miles of desert travel um, from the start. So the first time I did it um, or tried it, I took 16 and a half liters of water. And 16 and a half liters. How much does a liter of water weigh? 2.2 pounds. (laughs) Okay. Um, So you're carrying 35-ish change (laughs) pounds of water. Yeah. Yeah. Plus other Um, things. Yeah. Plus, uh, yeah, because you're carrying all of your food, too. And since you're carrying right. that much weight, right. that turns it into, I mean, it's very much a multi-day effort. So you also have a bivy. You have, you know, something you can sleep on um, for a couple of hours Lord. at a time. Because um, I think the current men's time on that route for the unsupported um, off-trail version of it is, like, just under seven days. So... It's a, I mean, it's, it's big and you can't, there's only so far that you can travel with that much weight on your back per day. You're not yeah. running. And so, um, the first time I tried it, I actually ran out of water and in, okay. or I ran, I was really close to running out of water and decided to bail, um, at an easy okay. point because I knew I wasn't going to finish the route, um, with the amount of water that I had left. And so I went back actually just this last December 
and tried it again. And I was like, okay, I'm taking more water this time. And um, I took 20 liters of water, which is a lot of water. I think my pack by the, by the time it was all packed up because the, the weather was supposed to be really bad. Um, there was a chance of rain and in death Valley, if it rains, it's, it's pretty, it can be, Flash flood. Yeah, it can be pretty gnarly. And so I yeah. then was like, okay, I'm, you know, putting rain gear in my pack and like taking all this extra stuff. I'm going to take this extra layer because it was really cold while I was there. Um, I hardly even saw the sun when I was on this, on this route. And, um, I ended up getting pretty shut down by the rain on that one, but I did, mm-hmm. you know, I took 20 liters of water with me that, that time. And would have made it if it hadn't been for the insane amounts of mud. Wow. But, yeah. Yeah. People don't realize so, like the, the, the desert ground is not, um, very absorbent typically. So small rains can lead to massive, very fast moving flash floods that will just, I mean, they'll take a car away in two inches of water. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Again, having grown up in Phoenix, I've seen the, I've seen the disaster that some of these, just a little rain and all of a sudden, you know, an hour later, it's like really treacherous conditions. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what's the draw? Like that seems like a crazy effort, you know, like m- bad water is actually my bucket list race. I would love to do bad water. Um, but obviously it's a supported. And I mean, in fact, you're supported to the fact that typically you have a car driving alongside you half of it, you know, like giving you stuff, but you know, doing that as a supported thing or even a self-supported where you have water drops and things along the way, like, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, it's still a massive freaking effort, seven days, or in your case, maybe longer through the Death Valley desert. You know what I mean? Like, why, why do you make it even that much harder on yourself to have to be completely unsupported? Well, so for me, for that route, I really love Death Valley. There's a beauty there that you can't really know until you experience it. And being solo in the middle of what seems like a desolate desert and watching the sun come up and go down under a full moon, you know, at night, you're moving through the night and the desert can actually really come alive. And Death Valley is, is one of those places where there's, there's a lot of life there, even though it seems desolate and barren. And I really love that about Death Valley. And I, there's that doing that route in that style. I think one of the reasons that I'm so drawn to it is because it is really hard and there's no female time on it yet. And it's one of those things where I'm like, I know I can do this. Um, and actually yeah. the goal of that one was to do it faster than the men's time. So I, if things, if everything had gone to plan um, and I hadn't been rained on, I would have done it in about five days. Um, no kidding. Wow. Yeah. So, and I was, wow. I was on pace for the first two days until the rain hit. Um, okay. So that, I mean, that was, you know, that's, that's the goal with that one. And I think there's a a very big part of me that just wants to do it to prove to myself that I can do it at this point, because I failed at it twice. And I know there's been several other tries by other women and they failed at it. And it's like, now there's this, 
thing that's like floating out there and I'm going, I know it's possible and yeah. I know I can do it. And so I want to make it happen. Um, yeah. So yeah, after this last try, I thought that I was going to give up on the idea and kind of move on. Um, and I, it's still, I can't, just can't stop thinking about it <laughs> still, you know, I keep finding <laughs> Yeah, as you explain it, I realize my own ignorance because it's kind of the same thing as like, as I said, like cycling is different than mountain biking. And I sort of saw it as, on its surface as supported versus unsupported being a label. But to you, it's like a completely different race. It's a completely different effort. It's a completely different thing. It's a completely different challenge, you know, like accomplishing it. It would almost be, you know, like, yeah, I started, but it was for junior varsity. Like, I didn't get on the varsity team to do this, you know. Maybe yeah. that's the proper analogy or not, but um, I think I get it better now. I think I think that makes sense. Um, I mean, there's, on a route like that, it is, actually, it's really flat. And I I think that it's almost too easy. I mean, not that 165 miles of off-trail travel is ever <laughs> going to be easy, but yeah. um, I think that doing it in a supported manner, or even or even self-supported manner, would yeah. take some of the enjoyment away from it. Some of the the you know that I don't know. Take some yeah. of the the pride, the prize away from it. There's I get it. It, yeah. it makes it almost too doable. <laughs> if that makes it yeah. Well, it's kind of like, you know, I mean, it's like being on top of Everest versus climbing Everest, you know, you could, I mean, I, you couldn't, but like if someone had just snapped their fingers and you're just at the top of Everest, it's one thing to say, I've been to the top of Everest versus I climbed to the top of Everest. It's a completely different thing, you know? Yeah. It, it does make sense yeah, to two me. Very <laughs> two very different yeah. things. Huh. I love that. So you're uh, in your... um in your previous life, I guess, before your full FKT life, you were practicing veterinary medicine. Is that correct? I was, so I'm not, I was never a veterinarian. Um, okay. I was, I, what I like to tell people is like, I was like a veterinary nurse. Um, so okay. I assisted the doctors, I assisted in procedures. Um, I, you know, took vitals, I did treatments, I helped in, you know, anesthetic procedures, that kind of a thing. Got it. Um, and okay. I, but yeah, I, I worked in veterinary medicine for about 13 years. Okay. And it just, it just sort of got to be conflicting with the FKT lifestyle. Was it too, just too many hours, too much stress? Like where was your, where was the downside to doing some, cause you, I mean, I would assume you got into that because you loved animals, you loved helping animals, you loved medicine, all that stuff. Yeah. And I still, I mean, I still do. I love animals. I love helping yeah. animals. I love medicine. I loved the, um, you know, the puzzle, trying to figure out, you know, mm -hmm. what is going on with this animal. I loved reading blood work. I loved, you know, kind of just the, the figuring out of what's going on and then fixing yeah. it. <laughs> of course, I enjoyed that process and working with, you know, my, my, the doctors that I worked with and working with the techs that I worked with and, um, I, I really loved it. Honestly, there's, so I, I worked in emergency medicine and internal medicine. And when you're in a hospital that's specialized like that in, in veterinary medicine, 
I don't know about human medicine <laughs> as much, but um, it's kind of a lifestyle. We put in really long days. You know, I was working 14-hour days, um, okay. five days a week, four days a week, um, often five days a week. <laughs> um, but you, you kind of like dedicate your life to it. And, yeah. you know, it's exhausting. You're on your feet all day long. You are constantly bending and stooping and picking up and you're, you know, you have aggressive animals that are trying to bite your face off and, you know, cats that are like coming out of the cage and they're trying to kill you. You know, like there's, there's a lot of stress, but it's also in, in that kind of industry where it's, you know, specialized, it's emergency medicine. You are constantly thinking, running, moving. There's no stop. And it's incredibly stressful. And uh, I, I got to this point where, you know, there's a lot of things outside of veterinary medicine that I wanted to do and focus my life on. And I couldn't do that in working in that position in that field. And it is possible that I could have, you know, stayed in veterinary medicine and gone to a different hospital and worked as, you know, doing exams and vaccines and just you know, yeah. regular, everyday vet med. Um, but I don't think that that would have been challenging enough for me. I, I, which is kind of funny to say because, um, you know, like I, I enjoyed the challenge of emergency medicine and I, I liked the fast paced yeah. part of it. Um, and I think that I would be too bored in just in like a general practitioner type setting. Um, yeah. and so I decided that I needed to try and transition out of vet med um, because there was a lot of things outside of work that I really wanted to focus on. And work just made it really, really hard for me to exercise, to train, to keep my sanity. I'm I'm a very empathetic person and working in veterinary medicine is really hard because you're constantly empathizing with not just the the pets but the pet owners and the pet owners are going through you know their their babies are sick they're you know they're 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 family members pretty much and so you know having these people who are coming in they're very upset they tell they their life story on you you can't help but feel for them and then you also can't help but feel for the animal and what the animal is going through yeah i honestly i got pretty wiped out and burnt out with that um in medicine they call yeah. it compassion fatigue and yeah it it really wears on you and i think the the final straw for me was when i don't know if, if you know about it but there's there's a fire that swept through um northern california called the campfire and yep. yeah and it, it destroyed the town of paradise which was just up the road yeah. from Chico, which was where I lived. Okay. And okay. we saw, since we were the only emergency hospital, we saw all wow. of the burn victims, mm. all of the animals. Wow. And wow. my first day during that fire, I think I was at the hospital for about 20 hours. And, you know, it was like weeks of just so many, so many burned animals. and. Yeah. Um, I kind of, I, I was, I was so 
scarred from that. I mean, you know, there's certain sights and smells and things that like I will never forget. And I kind of went, I I can't see the suffering anymore. I can't do this anymore. And that was when I really decided to. Oh, I was going to like just the, yeah, it's, you know, there's like a one second lag here on the line. So I keep stepping on your, on your talking. I apologize for that. Okay. Um, but it's, there's almost like an, uh, like a PTSD side of, of that type of, um, uh, it's funny, like you hear a lot about bedside manner in, in doctors and things. And my mom was a nurse. My mother-in-law was a nurse and my mom is like an extreme empath. And there's a downside to that in medicine where you're literally like empaths, as I'm sure you could attest, you're, you're literally giving a piece of your soul every day. Like, and you have to recharge that you have to walk away at some point and recharge that it's great. Like, I'm sure, you know, you were wonderful to the owners and all of that stuff. But each time you had to have one of those discussions, it was literally taking a piece of you, like a pound of flesh kind of off of you. Yeah. Yeah. I did. Um, at one point I kind of took a, long, hard look at myself and, and went like, who, who have I become? Because I started losing that empathetic side. I I started Mm. kind of, you know, not feeling bad as bad for the people anymore. And is that, and I was like, this isn't me. Like, I, I, I think that, you know, being empathetic is a great quality for anybody in, in healthcare. I mean, to be able yeah. to, you know, kind of connect with your patients in that way, um, is a great thing, but it does, it, it, it starts to kind of chip away at you if you don't recharge. And yeah. I felt like I was never recharging enough. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I mean, one, you know, I could, I started going down this line of questioning because I was, I was wondering one thing, but I think I'm actually going to go in a different direction. But what I was really wondering was like, did your boss, so as an employer, I would love to have an employee like you doing these epic adventures and doing these great things. Just, I mean, it translates into, in my experience, you're not, you're not great at one thing and then lousy at everything else. You know, like the, the amount of attention to detail and all those things that require you to go complete these FKTs, you're going to bring that into every facet of your life. You know what I mean? Like you're not going to be awful at the other stuff. And I was wondering if, you know, one, if your bosses tried to work around your, um, I guess, schedule in that regard and, and, you know, but it didn't, it sounded like other things kind of led you out of, out of that profession. But as a, you know, as a burgeoning kind of, you know, writer, aspiring, you know, you're building this brand, this, uh, we're going to talk about women in the wild in a minute, but like as a future employer here, like what, how do you see that whole thing of like building culture around adventure and making sure that the people that you're working with and that are working for you still have time to explore those things that make them amazing? Well, I will say that I didn't really start the FKT thing as much until I was more out of veterinary medicine and had more free time. Okay. Um, so, so were you more I like mean, the ultra side at the time or just running in general, or you just weren't even all that athletic at the time? Well, no, I was, I was definitely running. Um, I was doing some okay. races. I, I did my first 50 mile race actually like the day before 
the campfire started. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah. Okay. It was pretty intense. Um, wow. So yeah, I was like recovering from my first 50 miler at the same time that, you know, it was like the next day I was working a 20 hour shift. Um, oh, geez, Louise. So, I mean, and I'm sure that plays into part of my memory too. You know, like I was just so exhausted. Mm-hmm. Um, but like my, so my work family there, my, my boss and my coworkers were incredibly supportive of everything okay. I was doing. Even when I, even when I started talking about like, Hey, you know, I think it's time for me to transition out of veterinary, but I was very, very vocal about it and told them what I was feeling and why I was feeling it. This is what I want to do. I want to start writing. I want to be a freelance writer. And they were incredibly supportive um, and understanding. And which was great. I mean, it's a wonderful feeling. Um, But I I would say there's, there wasn't a lot of room for them to work around my schedule outside of, of work. Um, I mean, Uh, I did get to a point where I was like, okay, I was supposed to be off work two hours ago. I need to go right. and go for a run now. And I would sort of like try and force myself out the door. That's hard to do when you have emergencies pouring in. And, sure. you know, yeah, I get it. literally lives on the line. You kind of sort of stuck working, you know? Um, yeah. So it, it was, it was a- that was really hard um, trying to balance those two kind of yeah. lives. Um, I mean, it's going a tough into thing because women of the wild. Not... I'm sorry, we did it again. <laughs> we keep stepping on each other. I'm That's sorry, okay. I keep stepping on you. <laughs> I know this is terrible. Yeah, but what I was going to say about that is, is like, unless you do these types of efforts, and I'm by no stretch an FKT or, or you know, I am training for a 50 right now, my first 50. Um, but unless you do these things, like you don't understand, like you just said, you know, life and death is on the line, et cetera. But the, what it means for you to do those efforts, to clear your head, to cleanse your soul, to be able to function and to have that balance. If you're not doing it, you probably look at that of, of just like, dude, you know, like, what are you doing? You know, you're just out there gallivanting, you know, like get to work kind of thing versus like, no, this is a, you know, again, we just sent out a newsletter on the athlink side of things, and and I I said something to the effect of like I know that some people see racing in the middle of a pandemic as this um, superfluous, you know, like unnecessary thing, but for millions of us, like it it is it is the thing. It's the thing that feeds our soul and recharges us and gives us the strength to get through all of the other stuff and unemployment and all of the things that are sort of falling down around us. You know, so. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I cut you off when you were talking about women of the wild. So I apologize for that. <laughs> That's okay. Um, well, and, you know, kind of going back to what you were saying, I, I think that that is missing from a lot of places of work, um, that understanding and, and allowance to let people recharge. And, you know, like, obviously things are, are different now with COVID and everything. And there's a lot of people who are out of work and, you know, have kind of had to discover those ways of, you know, making themselves whole without work, um, which is hard to do. But yeah, it was just, uh, I think what I was saying about Women of the Wild was one of the reasons that I, I wanted to start Women of the Wild was to try and get more people into the outdoors, specifically women, 
um, because of the profound effect that, you know, adventuring in the outdoors has had on me in my life. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to read a quote here. It said, um, I realized that I wanted to help bring more women into this world of adventure. I don't care what anybody says we belong out there. That is from your about us on the women of the wild podcast. So that really struck me because that last sentence there, I don't care what anybody says we belong out there. I was raised by a single mom. You know, I have a daughter, I have a wife. Like to me, that statement is crazy. Like, of course we want you out there. So it's, it's really, it was kind of like a little heartbreaking to me, especially I know misogyny exists in the world. Like to think that it exists to that level on the trails. Um, like what's your experience with that? You know, you, you, there's a couple of other quotes that I wanted to touch on, but the, like, there's definitely a, a theme there that do, did you feel like you're less than being out on the trails there as a woman? I mean, I don't feel that I'm less than, but I feel that other people might think that I'm less than. Yeah, that's that's what I mean. So, yeah, yeah I mean, I and you know, maybe I should change the way that's worded, but I think that does stem from a lot of the the experiences that I've had in the outdoors and especially doing things outdoors solo and without a male partner. Um yeah. So one of the first experiences that comes to my mind was actually the first time I ever climbed Mount Shasta solo. And Mount Shasta is a it's a it's fourteen thousand one hundred and seventy nine foot in Northern California, um, and it's a it's a mountaineering. You know, like you you wear crampons, take an ice axe, um, and the first time I climbed that solo. I had multiple men stop me and ask me where my partner was. Are you alone? Where's your partner? Wow. What are you doing? Like they were blown away mm. that I would do this solo and they were solo. And I would just, I, you know, I just kind of looked at them like, yes, I'm, I'm solo. I know what I'm doing. Yeah. You know, and I, I've climbed the mountain multiple times solo. I'm actually a guide up on Mount Shasta. And I still get that, um, you know, those like, where's your partner? What are you doing alone? Like, what, what are you thinking? Are you sure Mm. you know what you're doing? You know, those, those kinds of questions and, and that assumption that I don't know what I'm doing and I shouldn't be out there because I'm female. And it's really frustrating to me. And, And even like the, the last trip that I guided up Shasta or coming down and we were on the trail you know, hiking out kind of, and, um, this solo male was walking up the trail and, you know, I have my guide clothing on, it says guide on my shirt, you know, Shasta mountain guides hat. And, um, this guy passed right by me and went to my, my guest behind me, who is male (laughs) and asked him what the route conditions were like. And, you wow. know, he was, he was, he was like, <clears throat> ask our guide. I don't like, I don't know what I'm talking about. And so the guy turned around and looked at me and then, you know, I like, yeah, explained the route conditions and you know, he, yeah, it. he didn't, he didn't really trust me. Um, yeah. And, you know, there's, there's, I've had a lot of experiences like that. I've talked to a lot of other women who have had experiences like yeah. that. And it, it's, yeah. it's really frustrating for us. 
because we're very competent out there. And totally. yeah. we know what we're doing. And we wouldn't be solo out there if we didn't know what we were doing. Like our egos, right. <laughs> most of the time women don't have egos like that, you know, where they're they're gonna go out and and do something stupid. Um right. just for ego's sake. Yeah, so, that's a predominantly male. <laughs> that's a predominantly male trait, I think. I think yeah, sure. it is. It's, <laughs> it's gotta be insanely difficult to handle that type of situation with any amount of grace where you're sort of gritting your teeth like it's Ooh, okay. You know. You, I kind of, yeah. I kind of feel like I get caught between wanting to yell at the person, you know, like, what do you do? Like, yeah, of course, I'm fine. Leave me alone. You know, I, I just kind of yeah. go away. Don't talk to me. Um, first of all, you know, like I didn't invite you to talk to me anyway. So <laughs> like, why right. are you? In yeah. Place? Good point. Um, and it's just, it's, it's really frustrating. Like you want to both be kind and educate people, but you also want to get really frustrated and stand up for yourself and other women who are out there. So yeah, it's, it's, it's coming up with a, with a response is difficult to do sometimes, I think. Yeah. I mean, going back to the website, I wouldn't change a word. I mean, honestly, it's good that I was sort of taken aback by that because I don't, uh, God, I hope I've never done that where I've just kind of, I, I don't know. I it's sort of mansplaining. I guess it's man questioning when you're up on, on a trail or whatever, but I mean, boy, my athletic history, especially in endurance sports is usually half the time getting my ass kicked by a bunch of women. So I don't, <laughs> I, I rarely question the, uh, um, I guess the athletic prowess of most women, especially on a route like that, you know, where it's like, you, you know, you didn't just stumble up to the top of Mount Shasta where you're just like, Oh, you know, what, what am I doing up here? Wow. How did I end up here? You know? But, um, yeah, I don't know. I will say the first time I climbed Shasta was a little bit like that, um, but I did have a partner. <laughs> so. Yeah. Wow. Okay. All right. So you just lost all credibility. Just there. No, I'm, kidding. I'm kidding. But I wasn't so well, so doing that. Okay. Well, so going back, I mentioned it earlier. There was a post that you had on Instagram about um, you were out on uh, a hike on the Grand Canyon Trail and this like kind of big guy like blocked the trail and basically asked you the same questions like, you know, you out here alone type of thing. And I thought it was funny. You can tell the story, but I thought it was funny because in the post, I don't know if you even realized you did this, you wrote out, so you censored yourself because you said, um, that you wanted to tell him to F off and you sort of like F asterisk CK, I, you know, and you censored yourself when you were saying what you wanted to say to him. But then in the same post, you said um, that women are so fucking capable and you didn't even like not censor it. You wrote it in all caps. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought it was interesting. I thought it was like the, the armchair psychologist in me was sort of like, it's interesting that when you are sort of having this inner dialogue of like, pardon the language, but you know, fuck you, we are totally capable versus telling this man to fuck off. Like you censored yourself on the latter, but not on the former. I thought it was kind that of That is interesting, actually. I didn't notice that I did that. And maybe I did that because, yeah. um, I mean, I, I am a writer and in, you know, I censored myself in the experience. So maybe it's because I censored myself, you know, like I censored myself because I censored yeah. myself in the experience. Um, yeah. but yeah, that was that I still think about that experience, um, mm. because it made me so incredibly uncomfortable. 
And I keep wondering, like, what could I have done differently? How could I handle that situation better? Um, and what happened was um, I was doing the hike um, on this Kaibab trail. Um, I went down yeah. to the river, the Colorado River, and then I was heading back up. And it's like 15 miles round trip, I think, with like 5,000 or 6,000 feet of gain on the way back up. So it's like, it's a pretty big hike. Um, you know, yeah. it's a very well trail, very well signed. Um, you know, it's like, can't really get lost. I feel like out there, I'm sure people do. Yeah. But I feel like, you know, I, I wouldn't get lost on that trail. You're going down and you're going back up. Um, and I was headed back up and this very large man on, you know, kind of the trail's pretty thin. It's, there's, yeah. you know, it's basically single track. Yeah. It was like a cliff on one side and cliff on the other side. And so you're kind of like skirting around people and it's, you know, in the time of COVID. So, you know, I have a mask that I'm putting on when I'm around people and taking off when I'm on the trail alone. And, um, he just kind of, this very large man just blocked the trail and wouldn't let me go past him and started mm -hmm. asking me questions like, Oh, Hey, are you alone? Are you solo? Which in and of itself is really creepy. Like you're going to block a woman. Yeah, for sure. And then ask her if she's alone, which immediately makes me think like, oh, this person sure. isn't up to me. Hey, would anyone miss you if you went missing? Yeah. <laughs> That's a really messed up question. Yeah. yeah. And there were people not far back behind me and I could see people further up ahead. So I was like, okay. Like, I know I can run faster than this guy. You know, like he's, he's part, like yeah. very large older man. And, um, I was actually kind of concerned that he was so far down on the trail and like, you know, is he going to make it back out? Um, but I, so I, like, I knew that there were people around. So I said, yeah, I'm alone. Kind of like short, quick. What's like, what's the point? Um, and he, he, he went on to tell me how impressed he was that to see mm. any female, any woman out on the trail alone. Um, and I, I just kind of was confused. Like, why are you telling me this? Why are you talking to me? And yeah. I, it just, he went on to say things like, you know, I, I'm, I, I'm really impressed. I would be impressed to see a guy out here alone, let alone a woman. And, you know, comments like that. And, you know, this whole yeah. thing, he's blocking the trail. He's like forcing me into this interaction. And he's pretty much telling me that, you know, it's impressive that I'm hiking alone. And, you know, like very, yeah. he's like really emphasizing the alone part. And I yeah. finally was like, I, I have to get out of this situation. I was so uncomfortable. I felt like he was in a weird way yeah. threatening me. And, um, I just kind of was like, I like, will you let me get by? Can you move? Like, I want to, I want to keep going. Yeah. Um, and there, like, there were so many things that passed through my head that I wanted to say that I didn't say. There were a lot of things that, you know, after the fact I thought about and I was like, oh, I should have handled it this way. Um, a lot of people reached out and were like, I would have just told him to F off. Like, get out of the way, leave me alone. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I don't really feel like 
the appropriate way to handle a situation like that would is to piss somebody off. You know, I, I think yeah. that I like my alarms were going off and I knew that I needed to get out of that situation. And so I did as fast as I could. I just like skirted around him and started walking away. Um, and he continued talking yeah. at me after I got around him, but like, yeah. I, it was so uncomfortable and I just wanted to be like, yeah. you, you are the reason you don't see women out on the trail alone. It's people like you, <laughs> you know, like that guy who's, yeah. you know, <clears throat> these weird comments, forcing interactions. And, you know, like, that's the reason women feel uncomfortable on trails yeah. alone. Well, and that's, and that's why I wanted to talk about this because, um, there's a, as I said, raised by, a, a single mom and all of that stuff. I've never, I've never personally encountered what you just described. I've never done it. I've never, you know, I mean, I, I don't encounter it in my own life and things like that, but the, the, when things like what we've gone through in the last, you know, whatever, two plus years with the Me Too stuff and BLM and all of that. And and people can be, uh, myself included, I'm, I'm including myself in this group where you're like, well, you know, is it really that bad? Like, you know, I get that this happens sometimes or whatever, but like, you have to know that this stuff does happen every single day, everywhere. Like the amount of misogyny or racism, just because you're not seeing it every day, you meaning me, like just because I'm not seeing it every single day, like the amount of things that you, um, that happen on a, on a, on a given day, like you have to understand that, you know, like, yeah, it's real. Like there are people who are really this dense and maybe this guy, like in this guy's mind, chances are he had no idea what he was doing was wrong or scary or creepy or weird or whatever. Maybe he did. Um, I don't know, but like, you know, I think that there's probably a lot of interactions that go on like that, that, you know, people just sort of look at and go like, oh, whatever, you know, it was a joke or I just said this or what, you know, whatever it is. But I thought it was important for you to tell that story because it is, um, it's not an isolated incident. You yeah. know? Again, it seems like you, like you've, you've structured a big portion of your life around this sort of, you know, kind of female empowerment. Like, yeah, we can do this. Like, stop freaking doubting yourselves. Cause you've clearly never doubted yourself, you know, like, I, you know, it's a, it, I, if, I don't feel like it's ever affected you to the point where it's held you back from something. It seems like it really stokes your fire to be able to go out there and prove people wrong. Maybe I'm wrong about no, that. I, I like, I, I would say that I definitely doubt myself. Um, well, we I, all doubt ourselves. From but time yeah, to time. you know, it, it does kind of stoke this fire. When I have interactions like that, I just want to be like, okay, you know, like this isn't going to stop me from doing, first of all, doing what I love yeah. and what I enjoy. And second of all, like this needs like seeing women solo out on a trail or on a mountain should be normal. Like, we shouldn't question it. It shouldn't yeah. be something that people see and go, oh, wow, that's really cool. She's totally solo. Um, and it's like, it's kind of this double-edged sword because yeah, it is cool. <laughs> it's cool for anybody to go out and like, do a big hike solo or backpack solo, or, you know, like I admire anybody who's doing that solo. I mean, I admire anybody who's doing that as a group. I like, but I don't think that it should be such an incredible thing that people feel like they need to point it out and then make sure that, you know, we're, we're okay 
um, you know, out yeah. there. And so, you know, there's, there's a, a group of women and that's one of the things that I found with women of the wild is this like really amazing group of, of women who are out there doing things and doing big things solo and kind of breaking boundaries and, and re- creating a new normal for women in the outdoors. And it's, it's been great because we can kind of band together and share experiences and, and, you know, pep talk each other. And and it's, it's really women of the wild has changed my life in such a way where it's like, you know, I, I not only get to inspire other women to get outside and maybe set big goals, even if that big goal is, you know, to get out and, and run a mile or, you know, get out and, you know, take a mountaineering course or something like that. But it inspires the heck out of me too, because I get to talk to these other women who are, who are doing really cool things. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. I listened to, um, the Ellen Magellan, um, Ellen, what's her last name? Salterman. Yeah. And so one, I'm really happy that you're doing that podcast again, as a father of a daughter, as the husband of a wife. Like I love that. I hate that it has to exist, but I understand why it does. And I applaud you for, for doing it. And one of my questions, as I was listening to, um, Ellen Falterman and the conversation that you two had, um, there were some really candid parts of that conversation that I just kind of chuckled. Like I was at the gym running on the treadmill, listening to this and for the listeners, you're just going to have to grow up a little bit, but like, there's a whole section where she's, um, kayaking the river and you asked her, you know, kind of like about the, like, how do you keep yourself like clean and all that stuff. And she just dove right in like, you know, well, you know, you're out there by yourself in the water, you just free bleed. And, you know, and I thought it was really kind of cool because again, like being the father of a daughter, like I want my daughter to be that freaking confident where, She's, yeah, it's just like, whatever, it's natural. And, you know, this is what I'm going to do. And then I started thinking, like, I, I've, I mean, you know, like I was listening because I wanted to listen and because I wanted to, you know, get to know you before we chatted. We, you know, you, we, you and I had already been in contact and stuff. But I also felt like I was like infringing on this like private space for women. And then I started thinking, well, would Ellen have been as open if she knew that I or other guys were listening? You know what I mean? And it was like, oh, that's interesting. I don't know if I'm supposed to be here, <laughs> you know. But I loved the fact that it was, I don't know. I mean, I, I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. And Ellen's a great, um, great gal. And I've actually reached out to her to try to help her on her, um, on the ocean kayak that um, that she's going to be going on. And hopefully we'll have her on the podcast yeah. soon to help her with some fundraising stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I loved her story. She's great. And you were great with her. And I will going back real quick, like the empathy side of you in the veterinary med, like it absolutely translates into you as a podcast host. I think you're fantastic at it. Oh, thank you so much. It, it like, people tell me that sometimes and I'm like, oh, you're just being nice. But when I hear honestly, like other podcasters tell me that I'm, that I do good, that I'm good at podcasting. I'm like, okay. All right. So like, I, I might actually be doing an okay job. <laughs> you're doing a great job. Okay. No, you're doing a great job. And I would encourage men and women. I mean, if you're open to the invitation, I would encourage certainly men and women to go listen to your podcast. Yeah. So I think it's really good. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, having that space, it's interesting because my podcast is definitely geared towards women. Like I only talk to, you know, I only interview women, um, talk about things like periods and, 
um, you know, like handling that stuff in the backcountry and, you know, what it's like to be female and having to poop on the side of a mountain. Um, and you know, when you're with a group of guys or something like that, like, you know, those conversations definitely come up, but they're, I, I would say, you know, even though the podcast is geared towards women, I do have a lot of male listeners who have reached out to me, who have found a lot of value in what we talk about. And, you know, like, even though it's geared towards women, yeah, we talk about periods sometimes we talk about hormones sometimes, but that's not most of what we talk about. No, not at all. all. We talk about running, we talk about training, we talk about nutrition, we talk about failure. We, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that, that we cover. And some of my, some of my biggest fans, I guess, are male and they reach out to me and they're like, Oh my gosh, I, you know, I listened to the most recent podcast and I just loved it. I mean, my wife listened to it, things like that. Um, it's definitely, yeah, no, you're, yeah, you're looking at a fan. It was funny. I was on a, I had a 20, 23 mile run on this past Saturday and I had just listened to the podcast and, um, on this, on my sixth P (laughs) and it was like a wide open, it's like up on this Mesa and, you know, but it was like a wide open area. And there's a lot of people that are, you know, running and riding on this trail. And so I picked an area where, you know, there wasn't a lot of people yet coming by and I had peed six times and, and I, I thought about your podcast of like, this is such an indulgence <laughs> that, you know, frankly, like, I don't think, a, I don't think a woman could have peed right here, you know? Yeah. I mean, but, like, I don't even think about it. You know, you're just like, yeah, I'm sure there are, but it's a lot easier for a guy to, you know, to sort of look both ways and like, okay, you know, whatever. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. It's pretty funny. Yeah, it totally is. And it's really, no, I think it's a, I think it's great. It's really awkward for us sometimes when we're in a place where there's nowhere to hide behind, you know, there's no, big boulders to hide yeah. behind or a tree to hide behind or anything. So you just kind of have to, Oh, this is, this is natural. <laughs> like, just go. Yeah. Um, well, it's cool because I, you know, that's the, like, you know, there's something that happened to, um, I mean, you know, there's always been a difference between boys and girls and all that stuff. And, but the kind of like the Paris Hilton, you know, uh, Kim Kardashian thing, like that's my biggest fear with my daughter is that like, she gets too, and I hate to say this, so you'll probably jump through the the camera and punch me in the face, but like girly girl, just in terms of like being afraid of her own body and, you know, like, you know what I mean? Like just being like, you're human first, you know, and she and her, her all of her boyfriends, you know, she's in high school now and stuff, but like, I am thrilled to death at just how, um, trying to put this delicately, like she, she is, uh, um, I don't know. She would have no problem farting in front of a guy. (laughs) I don't know. Like, you know what I mean? So, so many, I think girls and boys would be so petrified by that, but she's just like, yeah, whatever. She thinks it's hilarious. And I love that about her. So, um, I I know that it, it, it's much deeper than that, but. Yeah. Well, I think it's, it's also in the way kids are raised and their, you know, their life experiences. It's, um, you know, raise them as that, you know, that's a normal part of, human life and you know being alive and things happen and there's gas and there's blood and there's poop and there's pee and like that's nat- those are natural yeah. processes and everybody should be yeah. aware of that and it's like i i actually think that boys need to be taught about periods honestly because there's like so many i agree completely clueless about it and they're scared of it and yeah 
it is like yeah. the most natural process that there is. You know, like it happens to yeah. all females pretty much. Um, so, yeah, it, yeah, it's cool having a son and a daughter because my son does get exposed to that type of thing. And and to be clear, like what I want for my daughter, it's kind of like that guy standing on the trail. You're a strong woman, and so that didn't affect you. It pissed you off, but it's not like you never said, I'm never going to go hiking again. There's a lot of women that would have had the opposite effect. You know, they would have said, I just can't do this anymore. Um, and that just freaking drives me crazy. I mean, it makes me in it makes me enraged like to take something so beautiful away um you know because of some arbitrary reason of just like you're not comfortable you meaning the guy is not comfortable with uh you know you ashley being out on the freaking hiking and it's kaibab trail like families go up and down that all the time i don't know what this guy's talking about <laughs> like it's not yeah. you know you weren't like at the top of everest or something i don't know what the hell he's doing whatever but um <laughs> The to think that like my daughter would ever feel held back from doing something because, oh, I'm going to have to pee on that long run or ride or whatever it is, and I'm not going to be comfortable. Or, you know, like that's just such a like. Don't limit yourself because of that. Just hey, let your freak flag fly, fly, and just you know go do what you got to do to go do the effort and to accomplish that goal and you know to live your life the way you want to live. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, the, like all of that stuff takes just exposure. And, you know, I don't, I don't have kids. I, so, you know, I can't really say much about raising empowering women, but, you know, I do think that it takes empowered people to raise empowered people, especially if she's in high school. So, you know, making sure that there's exposure to it. Like I, I grew up at peeing in the woods, you know? Um, yeah. So that was, that was never anything new to me. It wasn't weird. It wasn't awkward. Um, you know, I, I grew up running around alone or like with my brother climbing trees and stuff. So like yeah. being solo on a trail is really nothing to me, especially a well-traveled trail that has, you know, tons of people on it all the time. I kind of feel more uncomfortable in that experience than I am on a trail in the middle yeah. of nowhere by myself. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, look, to, in order to do some of the epic things that we talk about on this podcast, you talk about on your podcast, like you, at some point you're going to have to get comfortable, you know, doing some bodily functions in the woods or desert or wherever it is that you call home because uh, it's going to yeah. happen. <laughs> so you might as well just sign yourself up and get, get used to yeah, it now. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So we're looking across the horizon at the, uh, at the finish line. We do a thing called the 10 question dash. You want to answer some questions and let the listeners get to know you a little bit better. Sure. Cool. You cool. All spot, right. All right. That's not my strong point. So we'll see. Well, if you wouldn't have put down your headphones and listened to the end of your boyfriend's podcast, you would have been prepared and you would have had these questions written down and well thought out. The writer in you would have had essays for each Probably. thing. No, it's okay. You're all good. Yeah. It's all good. All right. On that one. All right. We're going to start easy then. So what's your gear look like? What brands are you repping and uh, what do you, what do you got? Okay. That's easy. Um, okay. Gear. So I love uh, my lucky poles, trekking poles. Did you Best turn Jason onto those or did he turn you onto those? I got Jason and on those. Bam. All right. Well, good job. That's what I like to think. I think, I think I got Jason in on this. <laughs> You did. We'll, we'll, um, we'll give you credit. I love 
um, I love my Northwest Alpine hoodie, black spider hoodie. It's like the okay. best piece, the long sleeve hoodie I've, I've ever had. Um, nice. I tend to wear Hoka's, the Hoka Oni Oni shoes. Yeah. Um, loving those. Um, of course, you know, gotta, gotta finish off any adventure with an athletic brewing. Boom. <laughs> Got to do it. <laughs> I think you and it. Jason have the exact same gear list, by the way. It was the Northwest Alpine. I think he was Hoka, if I remember. Does he run in Hoka's? Uh, Dina Fit. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I don't remember him mentioning yeah. shoes, but definitely the Lecky Poles, the Athletic Brewing, and the uh, Northwest Alpine. So that's funny. The other one I got to say, I've got to bring it up, is the Kogala Ultra Light. It's a, he also uh, that, that light is a game changer and honestly jason got me in on that one <laughs> okay all right we'll give him credit because he did mention that one though that one that one i forgot about do you ride bikes at all <laughs> uh not really not really okay good good not okay really. it's um, something I've, I've always wanted to do but not really okay what's your next um what's your next fkt you got lined up normally this is what's your next race but i'll say what's your next fkt Ooh. uh I, I don't want to say yet. <laughs> okay, no problem. All right, we won't. We won't you don't yeah, have to. Okay, what is? Do you have like a favorite sports book or movie or something? Something that inspires you on that side that you watch? You need to get pumped up or read. Uh ooh, that's a really good question. Um, I feel like there is, and I can't think of it right now. There's, uh, you know, like any any runner has read Bored and Run. That's a yeah. great book. Um. <laughs> have you read any of the um i can never pronounce his name at at hanaron finn he ran uh, hmm. he, he wrote uh running with the kenyans and um there's another ultra book that he wrote his last name is finn his first name is at at hanaron or something like that really good storyteller i think you love his his book um, the first yeah, one about I, ultras, is it finding ultra or something like that? I don't remember what it is. Great book. I'll have to look into it. Yeah. I'm not okay. sure. Uh, what's your favorite race or I guess FKT, or you could say a race, but it, it sound like you shifted over to FKTs pretty quickly. Do you yeah, have a favorite? I don't, I don't really race. Um, as far as FKTs go, my favorite thus far has been telescope peak. Okay. Very good. Where's that at? Where was that one? That's in Death Valley. It goes from okay. Badwater Basin to the summit of Telescope oh. Peak. So there's okay, like 11,600 feet of gain. How long is that course? It's uh, about 32 miles round trip. 32 miles, 11,000 feet. Okay, nice. How much of that would you run? Like if you, let's go back uh, to that, uh, like a flatter course. Like when you're doing, I'm having a hard time putting together my 50 miler and I just need to talk to some people who have done these types of efforts. Like in, on a 50 miler, how much will you actually run versus walk? On a rel like a rolling hill type course. On a 50 miler? Yeah. Um, well, I would I would try to jog most of it, but I do okay. tend to walk uh, steeper hills. Um, on Telescope Peak, I did a lot of just power hiking on the way up because yeah. it's it's all uphill on, yeah. you know, one way. Um, and then you turn around and come back downhill. So it's about 11,600 gain in 15 and a half, 16 miles. Nice. Um, and so it's pretty much all power hiking on the way up, a little bit of jogging yeah. on the flatter sections. And then I 
bombed back down Hammered as it. fast as I could because I love Hammered it downhill. Love it. Yeah. Perfect. Cool. Okay. Uh, do you have a bucket list race or FKT? Something that, that is really, I mean, it might be that uh, the Death Valley one that you haven't completed yet. Yeah, I mean, that one's definitely on it, but I would say if I were to choose any FKT ever, and if I had a chance at it, it would be the John Muir Trail. <laughs> okay, very good. That That is, that would be my dream, yeah. Are you, are you guys plotting that one yet? Too soon to tell? Uh, well, it's a little faster, I think, than I'm able to handle, but... Okay. Um. I, I can't, you know, I, I'm not going to lie. I have looked at it multiple times. Do you, like when you're looking at FKTs, if do you, if you don't have a chance to do to, to the F part, the fastest part, would you still do it? Yeah. I like, have a lot enough? of FKTs. Okay. Yeah. There's a lot on my list that I am not fast enough to get, but I still want to go out and do it even as like okay. as a single push. Yeah. Okay. All right. So it's, the adventure is just just as important or is the fastest part the no it's all important it's all about the adventure for me like i i really want to run the wonderland trail around Uh mount radio and that obviously like that caitlin gervin has that record it's insanely fast and there's no way i'll ever get it but it is on my list to do and i would jump at it any like at any moment okay good I'm I'm very new to this whole FKT world, so this is my second conversation about it. So thank you for enlightening. <laughs> okay, um, do you listen to music when you run? Not usually. It not depends. Usually? Um, you, no, not usually. Okay, do you have like a home stretch song or band on the playlist that you, when you need to sort of dig deep? Nothing. Um. Yes, yeah, so I will listen to. Um. Sometimes I'll listen to like trap music to like really pump me up if I'm having a really hard time okay. getting like moving. Um, you know, it's like something with a heavy beat or, you know, really peppy. Um, but there have also been times where I'm just kind of cruising along and I, you know, just need something to occupy my brain and sometimes reggae will do it. I mean, got it's it. just, but I very rarely listen to music. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Do you have any super embarrassing music on your playlist? Uh, <laughs> anything you're just embarrassed to even mention uh yeah kesha <laughs> <laughs> nice okay that'll do that wins okay <laughs> do you have a pre-race r- ritual or superstition anything with the fkt stuff anything you've um, got to do every time no i don't actually have any superstitions or like rituals i think good um i just i struggle getting ready for an FKT. I have a hard time eating because I get nervous. Who's a better, who's a better planner? Are you or Jason? Me. You? Okay. Yeah. How much, how many of those, like how many of those, uh, what is he? 96 now. How many of those would he not have accomplished had it not been for your help in planning? Just the planning side. They're unassisted. So I don't want to, I'm not breaking taboo here. Um, well, I think most of them, Jason's really good at, at pulling, like shooting from the hip. He's really okay. good at shooting from the hip. So I think that he would have pulled all of those off okay. even without my, like any kind of, I, I don't usually help him plan very much because I'm kind of okay. like, that's do you, I'll do okay. me. Um, but yeah, I think, I think he would have pulled them off. The only thing that I'm not sure on some of those is like if they're point to point. 
finding somebody to pick him up at the other side. Yeah. Well, he probably would have <laughs> finished more hungry than he did. I'm sure that I'm sure there've been some bars put in there that he wasn't thinking about or something. <laughs> okay. Um, living well, or, okay, so maybe that's more. Yeah. Living or dead, who would you most like to share a long adventure with, we'll call it? Ooh, a long adventure. Honestly, my my grandma on my mom's side. Um uh, I yeah, I didn't know her very well and she was very adventurous. She was a, a travel agent and traveled the world and yeah. never had the chance to talk to her about her adventures. Nice. Is that where you you get your wanderlust from? I think so. My, I mean, my mom's side of the family was like, especially the women were very adventurous. Her, That's her cool. grandmother, my great grandmother was a very adventurous lady. Nice. Very cool. Okay. Ashley, final question. What is the secret? The secret. The secret. <laughs> any secret. Uh, my, uh, any secret. Uh, well, yeah, what is so what is you, the secret to these big efforts? What what is the so picture yourself? You've just completed the seven the the Death Valley in five days. What do you think you tell yourself? Like, what was the secret to that? Okay, so I ask a very similar question at the end of my podcast. I ask okay. everybody what their superpower is, and so that, that makes you know it makes me think of makes me think of my superpower. My superpower is resiliency. I am extremely resilient. I can bounce back from things um, mentally, physically. I, you know, I, I will try and try and try again. And cool. so that's what I think it is, is resiliency. Beautiful. Love it. That's excellent. Anything that you'd like to leave our listeners with? Uh, gosh. Yeah. I mean, if anybody like wants to reach out to me for any reason, I'm an open book. I, there's a, a lot of things in my life that, you know, I can speak on that, you know, just in, in general, you know, <laughs> I suffer with anxiety, PTSD, and, you know, like I, I have a pretty, uh, pretty diverse background of things. And, you know, I'm, I'm always happy to talk to people and, and offer advice. And, um, you know, even if you just need somebody to talk to for any reason, like I'm, I'm here, I'm available, like awesome. reach out to me. Cool. Awesome. Well, uh, you, you gotta, um, I'll, I'll, I'll reach out to Jason too, but thank Jason for hooking us up because I've really enjoyed your podcast. I've really enjoyed talking to you. I'm really happy that you were able to come onto the podcast and have a little chat. It's been great. Uh, thank you so much. It was, it was so much fun. It was, um, it's such a great experience being on the other side of the podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> and super like fun. You're great on both sides. Oh, I appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah. So Women of the Wild is actually, it's spelled W-O-M-X-N of the Wild. So look for that um, on, I assume, iTunes and Spotify and all the places that you can download podcasts at. Yep. Your, um, are you Ashley.Winchester on Instagram? Yes, Ashley.Winchester. Yep, and it's, yep, and it's Ashley, A-S-H-L-Y, not, yeah. not E-Y. There's no e. Yep. Anywhere else? Anywhere else people can find you? Um, I it's mostly I honestly mostly use Instagram Ashley Winchester. Okay. I so Women of the Wild, of course, I have an Instagram for that. Um, it's Women of the Wild W O M X N of the Wild. Um, also Women of the Wild dot com. 
um, the website there. I'm trying really hard to get more content out on that as far as blogs go and um, in the process of releasing more podcast episodes. So yeah, those are, I've got lots of fun stuff in store for all of that. You have a busy, busy life. And and you're a very good writer, by the way. I enjoyed I enjoyed the the few articles that I was reading there. So I was reading, I didn't realize you were a writer. And I was I think I started with the Hoka article and I'm like, God dang it, she's a good writer. And then I down at the bottom, oh freelance writer. And it was like, okay, that makes sense now. I'm yeah. a terrible writer. So awesome. Oh, I love it. Well, I, Everybody, that is the show. I hope you enjoyed it. More people racing more often, having more fun in the process is our mission at Athlinks. Thanks again to Ashley Winchester. We do a special post for each episode on Instagram, so look for the post for episode 30 with a pic of Ashley. If you have any comments or questions, we are at Athlinks or shoot us an email to podcast at athlinks.com. The best way to support the podcast is to click subscribe on iTunes or follow on Spotify to be notified of new shows. Share it with friends far and wide, anyone you think would enjoy it. And please take a second to give us a rating and a quick review on iTunes. And until next time, happy racing, everybody. That is it. I played the wrong exit music, so I'll have to swap that out. (laughs) 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 It's all right. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. I accidentally kept the recorder uh, recording after we signed off there, and we had uh, another 15 or so minutes of chatting about what it would take for Ashley to best her boyfriend, Jason Hardrath, on an FKT, as well as some trail running shoe talk and things like that. So if you want to if you want to listen in on that conversation, just keep it rolling and it'll uh, it's coming up right now. What's the, what's the, what are the conditions that it would take for you to beat Jason? Um, what are you better at than, than him? Ooh, gosh, that's really hard to say. Um, I think it would be possible on like maybe a multi-day route, but that would be, that's so hard though. Cause he's so, he's actually, he, I don't want to say that he's better at suffering than me we're both good at suffering in our own ways, <laughs> but like, he's, he's so tenacious and mm. it's, I, I, I don't, I don't know if I could beat him on something. It would have to be like him having a really bad day and me having a really good day. And like, I tend to, so the, the stuff that I can really keep up with him on is like techie downhill, techie descents. Yeah. And like, there've been times where we've been running down from something and, he thinks he's leaving me in his dust and he glances back and I'm right on his heels. He's like, Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I'm like, yeah, I love this stuff. Um, so yeah. I think that I can, I can hammer downhills pretty well. Um, yeah. but he's just like, he has so much more formal training than I do in running. Um, mm. that he has a lot more tools in his pocket than I do. Got it. So, yeah. And he's just, he's a lot faster than me. Yeah. Yeah, downhill, techno, super technical downhill is my is my jam. That's kind of where I excel. And growing up in Phoenix, like Camelback Mountain, South Mountain, it's all super jagged, steep, crazy. You know, you just go as hard as you can and hope you don't fall. And luckily, I've I've been pretty lucky in that area. Yeah, same, so, same. I yeah. I've never taken a really big tumble on something like that. I almost have um, multiple times, but. I think yeah. that's one of the reasons that I'm good at it is because I can catch myself. Like I have the footwork is there that I can, you know, catch myself and, and 
Yeah. I think it makes a lot of people. I think a lot of it's, a lot of it's confidence too. I've, I've, I've um, kind of clinicked a few people and helped them run the crazies. And a lot of it is confidence. People just don't think it's possible. So they don't try it. And then when you show them like, no, 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 this is how you do it. And you know, here's how you want to, you know, switch your feet and things like that. And they're like, Oh, okay. Like, I think they just literally think people don't run down this kind of stuff. And then once they, once they see it done, they're, they're a little bit more free with it. Yeah. And it just takes practice. Like I was, I was doing the race one time and my, like the downhills have always been my, my strong point, which is funny because there's a lot of people who actually can't run downhill very well. And that's where I tend to pass people is going downhill. And I had, I passed one lady and she looked at me and she's like, gosh, how are you? You're like floating. And I'm just like, I I think part of it is like, I, you know, there's not a lot of contact with the ground when I'm running downhill. Um, and I'm very particular about where I put my feet. Um, and I I think it's just practice. Like I, ever since I started trail running, I've always been on techie trails. So it's sort of what I'm used to. Yeah, I call it hot footing yeah. where you're just like you just just barely touching your feet and just you gotta you gotta pick lines really, really yeah. well. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't yeah. know, I don't know about you, but when I first started running, I actually ran only in the Vibram by fingers. Oh god. I ran my first marathon <laughs> in those things. Holy smokes. And it was a trail marathon, but it was still, you know, it's a it's but still. marathon. So I, that's like all I wore for a long time. And you have to be really wow. careful about your foot placement with those because you can bruise the bottom of your feet pretty easily. Oh yeah. And so I think that's where some of my footwork came from was wearing those and, and running techie trails. No, oddly. Well, it's funny. I say, Holy smokes, no way. The funny thing is, is I actually, so I started running as a kid on like South mountain and, and Piastawa peak here, squat peak at the time, but it was in like wrestling shoes because it was all part of wrestling to build fitness. So I mean, those are basically Vibrams, you know, yeah. so like I, um, but I bought a pair of Merrells and then tried to go out and do this as an adult. And I literally made it like 200 yards in and said, nope. And I went back to the car and got my, got my regular running shoes, like a Terra Kiger or something. <laughs> I was like, there's no way it was super jagged Arizona rock. I mean, it was crazy. Yeah. So yeah, it was, it was nasty, but, uh, anyway. Actually my, my favorite pair of Hoka's right now are the Evo jaws, which are like, they're minimal. <laughs> Yeah, I was gonna say I've got a pair. I just got a pair for I Christmas. Love those. So yeah, I love those. I haven't run in them yet, really. They, I mean, they're not your typical Hoka. The the there's oh. a lot of feedback from the ground <laughs> in those things. What's the longest run you've done in those? Uh, maybe ten miles. Not. A, I haven't okay. worn them a lot, but I I really loved them in the snow. Um, they're just really grippy, and yeah. um, you know they have those big lugs on them, so. They're, yeah. they're super grippy. I can't wait to try them out on like more technical, like third and fourth class climbing type stuff and yeah. see how they feel <clears throat> with that. Yeah, I'm taking mine. I was supposed to go Wednesday, but I'm going to go this Wednesday um, on a really technical steep, like jagged uh, in Boulder. So I'm, I'll, I'll report back. But I, yeah, they, I mean, you can tell just the feel. What I like, the Terra Kigers have a similar type of, um, the newer ones have a really, really good lug to them, but they're a medium cushion. So you can wear them for 25 miles, but still go super technical where most of the Hoka's like the speed goat, great shoes for like flat trails, but I've rolled my ankle so many times and doing even remotely technical stuff in the speed. Yeah. Goat, I can't do it. Yeah. You know, what's funny is that, so the one, the, when I 
the first time I got a pair of hokas, I, I purchased them and I was like, oh, try hokas. And actually, I take that. The first time I tried hokas was years ago and I hated them with a passion and swore I would never wear them ever again because they were so <laughs> narrow. They were so like uncomfortably narrow. And then um, the, the local running store that's here in Klamath Falls um, talked me into purchasing a pair of hokas like a couple of years ago. And I liked them, but I rolled my ankles in those so much. And I'd never really rolled my ankles ever before. Yeah. Likewise. And so I thought it was really weird. And, um, but since then it's like, I've gotten used to them and I don't roll my mm. ankles as much in them anymore. Um, but they're still yeah. like, I do tend to roll my ankles in the hokas more than I do any other style or brand of shoe. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause the, the, their soul, like all they would have to do is flare out. I just got a, only because they were on super great sale and I've turned out to love them, the Saucony Peregrine, which is a very similar shoe to the Terra Kiger, where they just take that sole and they just flare it out ever so slightly and you can't roll your ankle. I mean, you could, but you're not going to. And I mean, it's it's uncanny in those speed goats where I'm on like a flat trail if there's a rock to be found, I will twist my ankle on it. It is, and I've never twisted my ankles yeah. and I've never, you know, like I'm, I'm usually really good at flipping my feet around and again, like foot placement, super technical, never fall, never twist ankles. Every time I wear the hokas, I destroy my So ankle. my question for you is like, when you, what is your foot strike like? Do you land, do you heel strike? Or? On a, on a downhill, uh, the insides of the balls of my feet. Oh, okay. Yeah. And what happens is it's almost like a, um, it's like a, um, it's like a reflex or something. It's like I, I hit and it just, it doesn't hold like the second that the inside of the ball hits, it just rolls straight over. So I basically flare my heels out and hit the insides of the balls and I kind of slalom down, mm. you know, real yeah. fast. And so any other shoe I'm fine in, but the Hoka's for whatever reason, uh, again, I'll love them for like a long, mm -hmm. just like a gravel type trail, but I can't do them on a technical trail. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, my, my computer's going to die soon. Cause I had to oh, no move way. it. But yeah, I think with the Hoka's, I think part of it is like the cushion, the type of cushion that they use and like how it squishes. I think it just like yeah. rolls out from underneath somehow um the only other yeah. shoe that i've had that experience with actually are the on shoes i haven't worn i those had yet. one pair and i hated them because i would roll my ankle on asphalt like Oof. oh my god yeah, it was so weird if i stopped paying attention <laughs> my i would roll my ankle i'm like that is yeah. so like how is that possible yeah. I think it's probably one of those things. Like if I, if I bought a couple of pair of speed goats, I could learn how to like run in them. It's just that I'm used to a certain shoe working a certain yeah. way. And I have adjusted my stride. Why did you ask how I, where I foot strike? What? Well, because I wonder, I, I tend to have a, I, a four foot strike. And so okay. I, and I tend to land on the outside of the ball okay. of my foot on the forefoot. And so I think that if I land out there um, with like the Hoka shoes that, you know, have that thick padding, but, yeah. you know, straight down, I think that that side just kind of collapses and yeah, it, it just sense. rolls over. Uh, yeah. And I think that I've started compensating for that. I don't know if that's good or bad, um, but like, know. I do find them to be pretty comfortable. The speed goats are great. I don't like downhills in them. Um, 
like then they yeah. kill my feet on the downhill um but like flat and uphill they're fantastic <laughs> yeah yeah they're good yeah, I've been having this really weird, um, like I've just forever, I've had an IT band issue that I just cannot shake. And so I just, I was, I went 16 and then I went 18 and the first 16 was great. Last two was a little sore. And then I went 20, first 18 was just like each week, the week's prior distance is no problem. And then I get a little bit sore. And this past weekend I hit I hit 16 miles and it started giving me trouble, but I was on a loop, so I didn't have any choice. So I kept going and I started running a little bit more on my toes and that alleviated it. And then the last half mile was a downhill section. Ooh. And I mean, it was freaking agony. Yeah. I was, I was, I almost kind of broke down because I was so disappointed. Like I was making all this progress and then I hit this wall, you know, cause I'm doing silver rush in, in July. So I have, you know, and I'm only halfway there. Yeah. So it's like, what the fuck? I just can't figure out why my body will not let me run farther. than. Yeah. This. I used to have an IT band issue on, on the right side and it flares up occasionally, but I found what worked for me was doing more glute work. So okay. I, like my glutes have this weird tendency to like, I, I call it falling asleep. Like they just kind of stop working. If I don't, if I don't mm. actually focus on engaging yeah. my glutes and doing work, to like you know squats and lunges and stuff like that to wake them up bridges um they it's like they just decide to stop working as well and mm. i find that if i stay on top of my glute work and when i was having my it band issue really bad i you know took a, a short break from running and just focused on strength and um the it band thing just kind of resolved Wow. Okay. Yeah. I, I need to figure it out. So I'm, I'll take advice wherever I can I mean, get it. Cause it's just, that's my personal experience, but yeah, anytime yeah. it flares up, I'm like, okay, I gotta, I need, I need to focus yeah. on some, some glute work and make sure my glutes are firing and, and yeah. working appropriately. It's bizarre. Cause it's my entire left side. So it's from my hip and then my knee. And then I have plantar fasciitis on that same oh, side. Geez. So there's something in my kinetic chain. That's just not it's not firing right. And I noticed after I read born to run, I started squatting a little bit when I ran and just dropped my hips a little bit. And that, that solved most of the problem forever. And then this last, I think it's just, I'm doing such long technical stuff. And then I think I just probably ramped up too fast. I went, you know, like over the course of four weeks, went from 16 to 22 without having run a whole lot. Um, all of last year. So I think I'm probably just overdoing it, but yeah, I mean, it might be worth we'll it to it take out. a break and focus on, on a little bit of strength and yeah. see where that takes you and like give that inflammation a chance to kind of subside. Well, I don't want to hear that. I know. Nobody ever wants to hear that. I actually, <laughs> I've been struggling for a long time with this like weird hamstring issue on my right side. And it's like, when it flares up, it, I can't go uphill. It, yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. Well, I can. It just hurts. Me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so sure. I've been struggling with it and trying to figure it out. I should probably go to like a physical therapist and have it worked on and, you know, figure out what's yeah. going on there. But it's like, it, it resolves enough that I'm like, all right, we're, I'm, I'm okay. This is fine. And then it yeah. flares back up really bad again. So yeah. yeah, there's something, something weird on that side. And it's the same side that I got, uh, the IT band stuff on to mm. way back. So yeah. Maybe it's a symmetry thing or something. I, don't know. I tore my bite or my, I detached my bicep in 
November. So oh. I had surgery to reattach it. So I've only been able to run for the last three months. So I think I just overdid it and I need to get some pool time in and start. I can, I just got cleared to start lifting again um, last week, but even like, even just doing normal leg exercises, you don't realize how much you hold on or like, I can't squat, you know, I can't hold anything. So oh yeah. Um, there's been a lot of running. Yeah. So I just need to back. Off, yeah, know? maybe. Yeah. I mean, I know it, no runner wants to hear that they have to back off on running, but might be yeah, I'll follow it your good advice. for the long run. <laughs> so to speak, <laughs> pun intended. Awesome. Well, Ashley, it's been a pleasure. Thank you yeah. so much. I might actually include some of this part of the discussion in there. Oh, what? Why not? I might include some of this part of the discussion. I'm still recording on local. Oh, here, but, uh, we'll see. I see. I might. <laughs> We'll see. It's been an interesting conversation. Yeah, it's been great. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me. It it was a lot of fun. Yeah, likewise. Thank you. All right. Tell Jason I I said that. Thanks. All right. Bye. Bye.